Thanks be to God. Amen. The only appropriate response of such an amazing passage. My name is Jake. I'm one of your pastors. And today we are opening up Revelation 4 and 5, which has got to be, in my opinion, one of the most theologically pregnant parts of scripture I've ever read. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I feel fully incapable for the task at hand. But your spirit is powerful. And when your people open your word, your son walks in the room as he does among the seven churches. He comes to us clothed in scripture, so open our eyes, Jesus. Amen. So it's been seven weeks for us going through the book of Revelation, but it has been literally moments for John. And I guarantee at this point, his hand is cramping up for how fast he's writing, trying to write down all the things Jesus has told him to write down to the seven churches. And he is still on the island of Patmos and still listening to Jesus. And I'd imagine he can still see the ocean. I imagine he can still see the world around and In that moment, sitting there listening to Jesus, he hears this invitation from the voice of Jesus, come up here and I will show you what must take place. And he steps into a doorway into heaven. And I want to tell you what he saw (laughs) when he plunged headfirst into God's space, all right? But if the last seven weeks were kind of like us starting to wade into the waters around the island and coming up to chest and neck of the water, and we have seen some strange creatures swimming throughout and things going on in the water, this passage is like diving headfirst and plunging to the bottom of the abyss. And so you're going to see some things in this passage things that maybe you have never seen before, especially if you've never opened up this part of Revelation and it's gonna feel like entering into an entirely different world. It's not gonna be unlike going snorkeling or scuba diving, which when we were younger, my dad took us to and he did it off of the coast of Catalina Island. And you know, the water looks still, And the moment you put your eyes under it, it is like an explosion of life in a whole new world. But it's disorienting if you've never gone snorkeling before. What happened to me is that I looked and it's an overwhelming scene of beauty and wonder, but also my mind is constantly like, is that thing going to eat me or kill me? And I'm trying to breathe through the snorkel. And so I don't really trust it. It works, but I'm like... (laughs) constantly like panicking that I might suffocate and my whole body is clenched up as I'm sitting there in the water. And so maybe 10 minutes go by and I'm like, I have to crawl out of this ocean. That is what it's going to feel like. (laughs) However, if you go snorkeling once, twice, multiple times, what I learned pretty quickly in that first week of snorkeling, if you just relax and you trust the equipment, you can just float like you're flying on the surface of the water and you can see an entire different world down there. We are going to dive into Revelation. And I promise you, you're gonna see some crazy stuff. And I promise you, 
there's gonna be a moment to get back onto the shore and talk about everything we saw and name all of the different details of the fishes. But my prayer this whole week has been, I don't wanna be caught so much up in all the different breeds of coral that we don't just have a chance to look around. I want us to actually inhabit this story, yeah? If, if Revelation changes our imagination, I want it to do today that. There will be time for naming all the things. We'll get there in podcasts and Bible studies, but let us, let's jump in and let's float on the surface and see everything. Let's let it change us. And you guys remember how we started the series with me and John talking about what kind of book this was, right? Apocalypse and a letter and a prophecy. And we talked about how before we asked, what does this mean? What does this mean? We asked, well, what is this trying to do? It is trying to reshape God's people's imagination. Those little details, those are like your flippers and your snorkel. Don't forget them, okay? Mask on. Let's dive in. The moment John hears that voice and his head goes under the waters of Revelation's vision, he takes the whole scene in immediately. He is able to look at heaven. Bam, John's eyes come into focus and he's standing there in God's space. And in that moment, he sees everything and his eyes are going wild with everything he sees. He sees a throne and he's looking at the one who sits at the throne, but it's, it's, it's like the only thing he can describe is like, it's, it's like precious jewels and he has to look away because it's like, it's like looking at the sun for too long. And his eyes dart again. And what he notices is that around the throne is a rainbow, but it's like more real. It's like, it's, it's like a rainbow as if it, it was a, emerald. And he looks again and he sees that there in that moment, there are these, these figures that he can only describe as elders. And there's 24 of them and they all have their own thrones and they're, they're around the main throne that he's looking at. But the, the elders, whoever they are, they look, they look just like how Jesus described the church would look with crowns on their head and robes on their bodies. And it seems like there are this ruling authority, but he, he doesn't pause there because he looks immediately to what's closer to the throne is these four living creatures. And they look like an eagle, kind of. They look like an, a lion, kind of. They look like an ox, kind of. And one kind of looks like a man, but they got eyes all over and they got wings all over and they sing. They sing to the one who sits on the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And the moment they sing, it is like a tidal wave of worship moving out from the throne. The elders drop to the ground. They throw their crowns on the ground and they begin to worship in their own way as well. But the, the echo keeps reverberating outward. It's like heaven has a heartbeat and every time there's a thump, everything sings in all manner of creation. And again, he just keeps drawing his eyes to the throne because thunder is rolling out from the throne and it is beautiful and worshipful and confusing. Remember to breathe. Remember your snorkel. Pause for a second. We're floating and I want to point out a few things that we might see before you panic and go, I need to get out of this water, Jake. Let your body float. Look at the whole scene. 
Because if we follow the key of John, John's been in the water already before. And so he is our guide and he can point out a couple of things that we need to really focus our eyes in and see. And before, before I tell you everything, what it, what it might mean, you gotta remember it's a letter, right? It's a letter. And those seven churches hearing it, they heard it long before us and they had all of the things able to understand and see what was going on here. And if, and if they were here in the water with us, they would be able to notice and this whole scene looks just like when God came down the Mount Sinai in Exodus with rolling thunder. They would be able to point out to us as brothers and sisters in the waters of Revelation that, gosh, man, these creatures looked exactly like the creatures in the revealing of Isaiah's prophecy when God came to his people they look so much like those pictures of those, those creatures that came in the story of Ezekiel. They would actually point out those seven churches. They're in the water with us right now. Hey, you notice the rainbow? I know you haven't read Genesis lately, but do you remember how that was a promise that God would sustain creation? And they would be able to point out all these things for us. And I think if they really were to look at it, and there are two things that they would want us to look at. They would want us to look at the creatures, and they'd want us to look at the elders. So stay in the waters. And look at how I think the church would point out to us, and John would point out to us, that these 24 elders, who are these mysterious figures? They look exactly like Jesus said the church would look when he made all the promises to the seven churches. They are clothed in white. They have crowns on their head. They are on thrones ruling with God. And they would point out, do you know how there's 24 of them? Of course there's 24 of them. There's 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 apostles. This is this symbolic pregnant image of God's people reigning with God in heaven as one day it will be on earth. And I think they would point out, hey, you notice that these creatures, amongst all of them, you got the lion, the king of the beasts. You got the ox, who is like the strongest of the beasts of burden. The eagle, the king of the birds. And you've got mankind. It is a representation of all creatures of creation here. But even if we had them to swim with us and start going through all of the little details that you can unpack in this passage, even if we didn't, there is one thing you can notice in this passage. One thing that is getting screamed out at us by how John is trying to draw attention as we sink deeper and deeper into Revelation, that at the center of this whole vision is a throne. And on that throne, someone sits. John wants us to look at the throne. And if you fix your attention on one thing, it needs to be right now this throne. In fact, Revelation as a book mentions this throne 43 times. 20-something of them are in this passage alone. Like John really wants us to look at 
the throne. All of these creatures, all these elders, all the details are from the throne, to the throne, around the throne, oriented towards the throne. He is wanting us to see the throne. And when they begin to worship, they are worshiping the one who sits on the throne. The thing that this part of Revelation wants us to begin to see as we sink in deep is that there is someone who sits the throne of heaven. There is someone who the entirety of our universe is meant to center on. There is one whom all other things find their life, origin, orientation. There is someone who sits the throne and it ain't Caesar. For that early church, this would have been like the cold shock of water the moment they would have plunged their heads in for those seven churches who heard this 2,000 years ago. It would have been that gasp of air the moment that you go into the water for the first time as they see this whole picture that ruling the Lord over all creation was not Rome. It was not Caesar. It was not the gods and goddesses of the Greek pantheon that guided the orchestration of nature. They did not lead history. When you see this vision, you see a vision of reality. God sits the throne. And what is so bizarre for that first church to read this was not the creatures. It's not the elders. It's not the rainbow. It's the fact that they lived in a world where humans thought they could rule the world apart from God. What is so confusing when you read this part of Revelation from the perspective of the early churches was not how to make sense of these strange images, but when you see the reality of heaven, how do you make sense of earth? How do you make sense of the chaos? How do you make sense of the idolatry? When you get a peek into God's space, it becomes real clear that's not how things are on earth. When you see the creator being bowed down to before his throne, how insane does it look when humans bow down to created things? But what about today? We don't have a Caesar. Even our like, most powerful political leaders in our country, the president, he's just got like a leather chair in an office. And we would never allow anything to sit the throne of our affection, our orientation, our worship, our allegiance. We don't have altars. We don't have modern temples to gods and goddesses, even political ones. But where the ancient world was a little bit more honest, to be honest, I think, about what they explicitly worshipped, who they had sit the throne, we got the same problem. It's just a lot more hidden. If you keep your head under the waters of Revelation and you look around and you look at the center of the throne, you will notice that someone sits there. It's not Caesar, but it's not you either. That in our modern world, we have replaced political leaders, gods and goddesses with humans. And you might think like, I would never imagine that the universe centers on myself. I would never be that arrogant. I would never have that ridiculous of a thought. But who decides your identity? Your morals. 
When you look around at the culture that we live in, that we swim in, and every advertisement is about cultivating your world, entertaining you, making sure you have peace, care for yourself, love yourself. What is strange when you see Revelation is not 24 mysterious elders around the throne. It's the 24 and even more things we as humans orchestrate around our own lives to make sure that the world centers on us. And again, you might think, Jake, I I don't really think that. These are the waters that we swim in. And our culture has gone from this place of, you know, we don't need gods and goddesses. We don't, gosh, we don't even need God. I mean, think about the origin beginning of our country where it went from the place of enlightenment where it was like, we don't need this. Human beings can create heaven on earth. Even if we don't call it heaven on earth, we can create a better world by reason, by technology, by science, by education, by freedom, by just, we can do this. But we all are at this day and age, we're suffering from the hangover of the modern world, which we realized, man, we've used technology to new people off of the face of the earth. We have used reason and intellect to make it totally digestible to enslave an entire people group to build a country. We all today in 2023, we go, okay, we have woken up from the illusion that humanity sits the throne. But here's what we're left over with. I guess you sit the throne then. We'll shrink everything down to a life that centers solely on you. And here's what is so dangerous and crazy about this. You can sit the throne and as a Christian, ask Jesus to get in one of the elders' thrones. You can even use religious worship and practice as a way to self-satisfy and you can use relationships to put into the throne. You can use anything to sit centered around to make sure that there is a life that centers on you. That is what is the strange thing when we dive our heads under revelation is that when we see a vision of how it is in heaven, we begin to see what is fake and posing as real on earth. Humans do not sit the throne. I do not sit the throne. And so as we have our heads under the water, John pointing out all the things that we are meant to look at He draws attention to the fact that human beings sitting on the throne doesn't work. It wasn't working back then. It doesn't work today. And so he tells us, look at the scroll. Seated in the throne is God, Lord Almighty, and everything around him is oriented around him and his throne, but John notices that right there is God holding a scroll. And that scroll is sealed up with seven seals that keep it from being open, writing all over and within. And it seems like everything kind of builds up to this crescendo in this story. Everything in all of creation in this picture, worshiping God, and God is sitting there with a scroll. And an angel asks, Who could open that? 
And we don't even know what it is yet, but John hears that question, and then he says that nobody able to open the scroll, and he just starts to weep. And as we're going through that story, we're like, why are you crying? I don't even know what this scroll is. What are you so upset about? The scroll represents God's kingdom unfolding on earth as it is in heaven. If we had our seven churches here, our brothers and sisters who are steeped in the Jewish tradition and in the prophets, they would point out all the different ways that you notice things like this scroll in Ezekiel and in Daniel. And every time that this scroll shows up in the story of God, it marks this place where God has to do something new. He has to judge evil and rescue the world. And it won't move forward until the scroll opens. This scroll is this symbolic image of heaven coming on earth. And so John cries because the problem is that humankind was never meant to reign the earth on their own. That when Adam and Eve decided we will define good and evil for ourselves, that is the source of all death, chaos, and brokenness. And that scroll represents God's will for things on earth as they are in heaven. Here's why John weeps. Because if that scroll opens, slavery ends. If that scroll opens, panic attacks, they die. If if that scroll opens, child trafficking is wiped away from humanity's histories and we can't even remember it anymore. If, If that scroll opens, every idol in our world, every broken system of injustice is destroyed. Poverty will be a distant memory. Injustice is gonna be put into the grave. If that scroll opens, we will never again have to pray on earth as it is in heaven because heaven will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. That's why John, he just starts to cry. Because the story that God has been trying to bring forward is healing for our world. And if that scroll doesn't open, it's like human history is stuck on a plane that goes around and around on the runway. And so he cries. But A voice speaks and says, weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. And I'm sure at that point, John is thinking, oh my gosh, of course, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And they remember this prophecy in, in, in Genesis where it talks about Judah as a mighty warrior with his hand on the neck of his enemies. And he, I'm sure that yes, one like who comes in the, in the lineage of David. You remember how David cut off the head of Goliath. We are talking the messianic warrior king. Yes, of course, the lion, the one of power and might that no one can stop. This is how it will happen. But then he looks. He looks and he sees not a lion, 
but a lamb with half its head almost cut off, bleeding to the floor. He sees what you would see on Passover. He sees the most vulnerable animal in the most vulnerable situation. He sees not a mighty lion, but a lamb who was slain. And this lamb walks up to the one who sits over ruling over all creation and takes the scroll. He is worthy. Why? We were talking about it this week. I mean, Jim was laughing. He's like, man, if you're talking about like a candidate for someone who's able to like powerfully open the scroll, what about Oxface? There's 24 elders, there's seven seals. Work out the math. Like there's tons of powerful creatures and beings in this space that are meant to wonder and shock and awe God's people. Why is a lamb only able to open the scroll? Why can't God just pop the seals? Why can't he just have heaven invade the earth? Why can't he just come like a mighty warrior king? Kind of like, you know, like, like, like Rome, like Caesar's kings would march in to the, the entrance of the city and that they would be victorious with might and power. Why can't God just go, that's what I'm doing? Because for a long time, humankind, still to this day, defines conquering as winning with a sword and bringing the kingdom for humans means I'll bring it or I'll kill you. And God's version of power at the center of the cosmos is not that. He conquers by dying. How is the kingdom of heaven gonna come on earth? It's going to come by a Jewish man that was easily ignored, misunderstood, walking around crying and eating with all the people everyone hated. And how is God's kingdom going to come on earth? How is heaven going to break into our reality and cover over the face of the earth so there's nothing but goodness and evil is vanquished by Jesus God's son being sent as a Passover lamb to die. And every single one of the seven churches' minds goes back to that time when God vanquished Pharaoh and Egypt and God's people's enemies. And he told them, for you to make it through the night, you need to cover the door of your house with blood. This is what conquering looks like in God's world. It looks like sacrificial dying for God's enemies. That is why only the lamb is worthy to open the scroll. That is why Jesus, when he, in this vision, walks into the center of the throne room that is centered around Lord God Almighty, has the authority to take what represents history moving forward, and he is going to be the answer. This vision is central to the rest of Revelation, because no matter what we hear after from here on out, 
it's gonna keep rolling back to this image of the lamb who was slain. That is how our world is gonna be healed. Jesus. In fact, it's the moment the lamb takes the scroll that they sing a new song. They sing, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransom people for God, for every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And in that moment of Jesus in this vision, taking the scroll, that heartbeat of heaven, it goes out because it was just the creatures. And then the elders responds to the creatures. But then John says, the moment that the lamb comes into the center of heaven and takes the scroll, there are thousands upon 10,000s of angels, but it doesn't stop there. John suddenly is hearing and looking around and seeing that every living creature in heaven, on earth, and under the sea, and in the sea, and all that is in them saying to him who sits the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Look at the Lamb, for he is the center of our entire universe. And he's in control of history because he died for you. And now we get to see it. See that whole scene floating under the water in such a way that our imagination might actually be transformed. It means that God is fixing everything. This is not a fantasy that John sees. This is not a dream. God opened up the doorway in heaven so that John could take a look at how things really are. And our world is next. It is going to be like that. The world of darkness and decay and death, that's the dream. The world where we're all going to have to get through Thanksgiving and it's either going to be a bunch of awkward conversations that mark the brokenness of relationship or the losses that we've experienced or people who aren't at the table who we thought would be at the table this week. That is the nightmare. And this vision is the reality. And in Jesus, because of his blood and what he did on the cross, heaven is breaking into reality now. And the rest of Revelation is going to talk about how it's going to get all the way there. We do live in that awkward time of already, not yet. But what John sees is not a dream or a fantasy. He sees what is already that needs to now cover the earth. He sees the future and the present and the past. That's why they worship him as the God who was and is and is to come. Guys, one day we're going to be, we're going to be like a child waking up from a nightmare. And Jesus is going to be like the comforting mother who says, it's okay, baby. It was just a bad dream. And we're going to look around and we're going to see new heavens and new earth. That is why 
we worship. Because you see this passage, this is not some coded image that the church got was confused and then had to hope that somebody in 2023 would figure out. This is a vision for reality that the church then models herself onto. What is central to this passage? You want to know, what, do we, what does this mean for us today? What do we do from here? We, we do the same thing the creatures did, the elders did, the angels did, and all creation did. We bow down on our knees and we worship. That's why we're here on Sunday, guys. I mean, we don't, don't, don't get it wrong. We don't, we don't get together every week to hear the word of God and sing as some kind of religious good we hope to consume that's gonna make us feel good. Maybe I'm lucky Jake will be really inspiring or entertaining today. I'll say some funny jokes. Maybe Brandon and the band, they're gonna get up and they're gonna sing music. It's gonna hit just right and I'm gonna feel it in my guts. We worship today because it's the way for us to declare our allegiance that God sits the throne. It is our weekly way of getting on our knees and going, you're in charge of the universe and I am glad because I'm bad at it. It is our way weekly, you know, why we sit next to a bunch of people that some of us know and some of us don't, because one day you're looking at the people who are going to rule the new creation with God. And we get together every Sunday to remind us of that reality. We worship every week because worship declares reality. That Caesar doesn't sit the throne, nor does any other authority or idol Jesus does. And so we sing to him. We sing to him like songs we're going to sing next, like getting ready, that we are getting ready for a Jesus that is actually coming back. We're going to sing. We sing songs like look to the lamb because our eyes want to be fixed on Jesus. And we want to remind with our body and our voices and all the community and communion, everything that we have on a Sunday, because every week you're going to go out and hear different stories that are a lie. Jesus reigns heaven and earth. And we're on our way to that day where it covers every single thing. We worship today because we're getting ready for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you because you are the center of the universe and we need to be reminded of that. God, we're so thankful for your son. He has brought something new to our broken world. He has begun new creation and we will sing to you today to remind our hearts of that. Let us sink deep into the vision of revelation. Let us float there so that when we come back to the shore, we are changed and we bring all of it with us. Amen. We are responding to the lamb who was slain and we are responding to him who sits the throne over all creation. And so when you take that bread and you take that wine, be reminded that this is what victory looks like. And when you sing, 
Sing with your body, sing with your voice. Stand tall, get on your knees or lay on the floor if you need to as a way to say you are the center of reality and you sit the throne, not me nor anybody else. And if you have heard this vision and you need to respond to God by praying, whether it just be prayers of gratitude or healing or repentance, come up for prayer, we'll pray with you. And we are gonna give because God is, I mean, he has given us the lamb. How could we not give everything that we can in response to him? And we're gonna sing. We're gonna worship him who sits the throne and to the lamb. Let's stand. Let's worship God together.